Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. that you're gathered with us today, whether it's in person or online. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, after the first service, we were doing our Next Steps class, and we were just talking to uh, why we do small groups and why we do different things we do and how we want the church to be like a family. And uh, I just wanted to remind you, we do more than just this one week or this one hour together during the week. Uh, we'd love to stay connected with you. One of the easiest ways to do that is to follow us on social media. Uh, you can go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever all the different ones are nowadays and uh, follow us there. I'm not offended if you take your phone out. You're probably checking a score. I'll assume you're doing some Bible reading that goes deeper and uh, we'll keep moving. Sound good? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> uh, today we're going to keep going to the book of Hebrews. I'm going to pray. Uh, that God opens our hearts as we open up the Scriptures and that He speaks to us, not just my words. And uh, I am grateful uh, for every person that's here. I know that we're pretty packed today, and so there are a couple seats up here, and uh, don't like, we had some folks that were about to leave because we were so packed. Uh, make room for folks if you see them wandering around the room uh, looking for a seat. But let me pray. Father, thank You. Uh, thank You so much for just the opportunity to open up Your Word and to be gathered as Your, your family. I pray that as a church we would live like family. It wouldn't be just something we talk about. Uh, but that we carry each other's burdens, we'd pray for one another, we'd confess sin to one another, we'd love one another. That's repeated so many times in the Bible, um, that we'd encourage one another. I pray as we open up your word today, you'd do some of those things or all of those things in our hearts. You know uh, every story, every person who walks through these doors and uh, what's happening. And I pray, God, that you would uh, not allow your word to be void, not have us just fall on deaf ears, that we would hear from you whatever word you want to say to each one of us, that your Holy Spirit would move in a supernatural way today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, I know some of you, I don't know if it's a majority or half or whatever it is or minority, uh, probably can identify with me. Have you ever watched a movie with people and they start crying and you don't know what's going on? Like I've watched with my daughters or with my wife sometimes. It could be a TV show, it could be a movie. And I look and I'm like, tears of joy or sadness? Like I'm not sure what's happening and why am I feeling nothing? Like is usually what happens. And so historically, I have not cried much watching movies, but it happened this week. I was watching a movie. It was actually a documentary. That's how nerdy I am. And I got emotional at the end of it. And I'll, I'll tell you why in just a moment. But if you want to watch it, it's called Four Deserts. It's an endurance racing uh, documentary that was on Amazon. It's called Four Deserts because it's about some people that are endurance athletes, but they're not professional athletes. And so remember that. Like they've got jobs and families and other responsibilities, and they're training to run these races. There's four of them in a year that they want to do. How many of you here have ever done a 5K before? Raise your hand. We used to do one as a church to raise money for orphans, so I thought we'd have a good amount of people that done a 5K. These races are 250Ks. <laughs> And if you're trying to think through, what does that mean? That means the races are five days long, and they happen in the desert, and that's six marathons in five days. Now, the different deserts are in China, in Egypt, in Antarctica, and in Chile. And so you think about that, and what does that mean as far as elements? Well, the temperatures range anywhere from 120 degrees being hot and uh, negative 20 degrees being freezing cold. And so Antarctica has one. If you want to know how they have a desert, like watch the documentary. It's all in there. But the obstacles, the terrain, there's sand, there's snow, there's water, there's coral that they run through. Uh, it's all kinds of stuff. And everything they need for that five-day time period, they carry in a backpack that they have to run with the whole time. Like when they're in Egypt, they have sand dunes, they say, that are the size of the Empire State Building. So can you imagine running a marathon and going, oh, I think I'm going to climb the Empire State Building in the middle of it while it's 120 degrees outside and I'm carrying a backpack? It's crazy, okay? But as I'm watching this, the goal of these athletes is all to run all four of these races in one calendar year. And so they're wanting to do this, and they have jobs. They've got some of them go to school. One guy's a marketing director. Somebody else is a, you know, like a, uh, does finances for folks. And so there's all these different regular responsibilities they have. And you start to meet these characters, and the documentary really focuses on four different characters. One's a young lady. Her name is Sam, and uh, she's 25 years old. She's going to be the youngest person to ever do this and the first female to do it. But she says, as a 25-year-old, I've had a pretty easy life. And so she's putting these challenges in front of her. Then at the other end of the spectrum, there's an older gentleman. He's 56 years old. His name is Dave. Some of you are 56. You're going, what do you mean he's older? What are you talking about? All right. <laughs> You'll get offended when I open the Bible. Don't get offended by that, all right? <clears throat> and so Dave is a marketing director. And you just, when you meet him in the beginning of the documentary, you're like, oh, he's just kind of like one of those people everybody likes. He's just fun, plays with his dog, tells jokes, sings. Like, he's just a guy you'd want to hang out with. But as you start to go through these races, the layers of his life start getting peeled back. And you find out when he was a kid, 
his dad killed himself, but he didn't know that. His mom told him a different story, and then he figured it out, and, and they don't say it in the documentary, but you sense that Dave's running because he wants to know, if things get too hard, will I quit? And then there's a guy named uh, Ricky. Ricky was an athlete and had some injuries and different things happen, and, and none of his life has turned out the way that he thought it was going to turn out. And he, really, he even directly says, he's trying to find his identity while he's out there racing. Spoiler alert, they don't all make it, by the way. Uh, there's another guy, his name is Tremaine, and Tremaine, he's running because his wife died. He was a, a soldier, and when he got back from Iraq, his wife had cancer, and he, he said to her, we're going to fight this. And she said, you can't, we can't, and she died. And so now he's running to grieve the loss of his wife. And so you start to get to know these people as they're going through this. And they go through these obstacles, and there's blizzards and sandstorms, and it even rains. When they're like, it's called a desert because it doesn't rain. It's raining. Like, all this stuff's happening that's not expected. They're carrying their pack. They got huge blisters on their feet, going through all this terrain and all this stuff. There's one day when they're in China, there's a guy named Nick. He dies. It got too intense. He pushed himself past the limit, and he died. The next day is going to be the longest race. It's 100K in one day. It's the longest endurance they have to do out of all four in the whole year. And can you imagine psychologically what that would do to you? What happens to Dave is he gets running and starts to dehydrate and his body, he's getting sick. His body's shutting down. He doesn't know why. He hasn't been able to digest food for 15 hours. He stops at a rest tent and the doctor comes out and says, I'm concerned for you. Like she's not telling him you have to stop. But she starts telling him medically what's happening is your body's actually eating its muscle. That's bad for your kidneys. And she starts to go through like all the medical stuff. And she said, I'm scared. He lays down on the ground and it's starting to become nighttime. He starts to go to sleep and he's going, I'm fine. I'll finish. I'm fine. And I'm watching. I'm going, I don't think you're fine. I'm not sure if you're going to finish. A guy just died yesterday. We've been studying the book of Hebrews together. Hebrews talks about perseverance in our faith more than any other book in the Bible. And I want you to know that today's message is not, I'm hoping to fan the flame of your faith so you can make it tell here next week. Like, that's not what this message is today. We've had those messages sometimes. That's fine. Today's life or death. This is a life or death message because perseverance and endurance is a life or death thing. If you don't think that's true, before we jump into the passage for today, let me just share with you a couple verses we'll see over the next few weeks in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4, that'll be in about three weeks, two, two or three weeks, says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and so we'll talk about what that means when we get to it, but it's important. Let us fear. Wait, the Bible's telling us to fear? God's telling us to fear? Why? Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. You don't finish. In the passage today that we'll read, chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. If, huge if, if indeed we hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope, Next week, we'll see chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now, here's what I know some of you are thinking to yourselves right now. Why well, my spouse, my son, my cousin, somebody you loved, prayed a prayer, got baptized, at some point walked with Jesus, maybe we even was like a pastor, and then walked away at the end, or took their own life, or something bad happened at the end, and you go, but they didn't finish well. And we're going to talk about that in this message. But resist the urge to think about them the whole time and think about yourself. About will you finish? And some of you haven't even started yet. So Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're going to be this morning. And we're talking about perseverance. Um, verse 1 is where we'll start reading. In case you haven't been with us, what we've seen so far in this series called Greater Than is that Jesus is greater than all of creation. Remember, he is the end all, be all, beginning of all. He owns it all. He's greater than all glory. We steal his glory. We settle for lesser glories, but ultimately all glory comes back to him. Amen? He's, he's greater than all power. We saw that he upholds the universe, an ever-expanding universe. It's a continually growing universe, and he upholds all of it with the power of his word. Wow. That's power. He's greater than angels, and today we're going to see he's greater than something else. I mean, you could fill in the blank with anything from creation, but there's a reason the author picks certain things, and that's why I think God has a word for us today. Look at what it says, Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers, he's talking to believers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle, he's not called that anywhere else in the Bible, he's referred to as sent, which is what that means, but he's not called an apostle, and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. And so there's a comparison today, Moses. 
For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Then parenthetical statement of something he assumes everybody knows is true, but just in case he says it, for every house is built by someone. doesn't matter how old the house is, how new the house is, somebody built it. But the builder of all things is God. He created everything. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But, contrast, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. One's a servant, one's a son, one was, one is. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so what the author of the book of Hebrews does here is he shifts genres. He changes the way he's talking to us from what he's been talking about, about Jesus greater than angels, don't drift. He gave that warning, remember? Talked about last week, Pastor Dave was telling us how we live in the already, not yet. There's things that are already true. Jesus already accomplished them. We've not yet fully experienced them. Therefore, he goes and he tells these brothers and sisters, you and me, the church, Jesus is greater than Moses. Which many of us are like, oh, yeah, of course he is. Like Moses is just a guy. Jesus is God. Like we didn't need that lesson. Thank you very much. Why is he telling us that? Why is he? He's shifting to an example. And examples are powerful. And that's why if I ask some of you, hey, can you come over and help me, you know, whatever. Fix the electricity in my house. You've never done electricity before. You're like, yeah, I can do that. You change my oil. Yep, we can do that. Can you build a fence, build a deck? Yep, we can do that. Do you know why? YouTube. Because we can just Google real quick and it's like, I saw this guy. I can do what he did and just back it up and start doing the thing and you see the example. That's why if any of you ever watch youth sports, the kids always copy whoever their favorite athlete is. Like it doesn't matter what the, if the athlete chooses jersey, it's like they all run around the jersey and I was like, huh, why, you don't naturally do that. You do that because you're watching. When I was a kid, everybody wanted to be like Michael Jordan. So they stick their tongue out like Mike. I try to be like Mike. Ah. Like you can't jump. Your dad couldn't jump. Your grandpa can't jump. You sticking your tongue out is not going to make you jump. Neither are those shoes, no matter what you pay for them, all right? But examples are powerful. That's why all the kids today are... TikTok. Oh. It's like everybody's doing the same dance. Why? Because they're following the example of what they got on TikTok. Like it's just examples are powerful. All of Hebrews chapter 3 is an example. This week's message, next week's message. This week's message, good example. Moses, Jesus. Next week's message, bad example. Israel. They failed the test, rebellion, they hardened their heart. And so the point, be like Jesus, don't be like Israel. There's the summary of both weeks. FYI, still come back next week. There's more to say. But What's happening here? Why in the world are we talking about Moses? And what's being talked about here is this endurance. You saw that at the end, right? Like how dangerous that is. Hey, you're a part of God's house. You're seen as holy. You're, you're good if, if, huge if, if you persevere. And so what this passage is going to teach us as we unpack it is how to persevere and why we would persevere. In the outline, I'm going to call it the by and the because. We persevere by doing this. We persevere because of this. It's the, it's the how we persevere and the reason we persevere, the by and the because. We persevere, we keep on going, I just put it in normal, real normal language, keep going in our faith, is what I'm talking about, we keep going in our faith by setting our eyes or fixing our eyes on the goal. We keep going in our faith by fixing our eyes on the goal. Now, I've never run a desert race or a 250K. Um, I have run a couple marathons. Um, not a distance runner, not an endurance runner. I was a sprinter in high school, and so every time I ran long distance, however far I went that time was the furthest I'd ever run. I remember my first marathon, and all the training that I did, we ran up to 20 miles. But a marathon's 26.2 miles. And you show up on race day, and for me, at least for the first time, I was like, how in the world am I going to run those extra? That's a long time. 6.2 miles? That's two 5Ks. Like, what? A how's that going to happen? And I remember going out and doing the race, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm like an all or nothing guy, and that happens when I run too. Like I'm all in, everything's great. Like when we run a race, it's like, this is amazing, I can't believe we get to do this. You can ask my wife. But if a race is going bad, and I've had that experience too, it's like, I'm gonna die. This is terrible. We paid them so we could do this? They should be paying us, like this is stupid. And so I, that's either one of the two. My first marathon was the, was the all in. Like this is, I can't believe we get to do this. This is amazing. 
And they had these huge signs at every mile marker. They were big yellow signs, and, you know, well, first mile, second mile. And I remember at about mile nine saying to my wife, hey, when I'm laying on the couch later today, this is going to be amazing. She's like, we've got almost 20 miles. What are you talking about laying on the couch? Like, she's annoyed with me at that point. Because I used to, like, start high-fiving people. I get it. She says, you're an obnoxious runner. No one likes you. <laughs> Which is code for, I don't like you, by the way, in that moment. And uh, we're running. We get past mile 20, and so I'm looking for 21. We get past 21, I'm looking for 22. And once I can see it, I'm like, all right, we just got to get to there. And then we got the next mile. And I remember after mile 22, seeing mile 23 and yelling. I'm running with a group of people at that time. Uh, some of them are struggling, some of them are doing well. And I go, I can see 23. To which another guy in the group said, you can see? Like, <laughs> he's got sweat in his eyes and all that. But what I learned is, it was, if I started looking back, it's going to slow me down, maybe stop me in the race. I had, to keep my, I had to keep looking toward the goal. The goals are powerful. In fact, there's been studies, secular studies, it doesn't even have anything to do with the Bible or Jesus, but all truth is God's truth. He's the one that makes things true because he is truth. We sang about that earlier in the message. There's a study, it's a landmark study by the University of Texas that was studying people that had multiple sclerosis. And so if you know anybody who has MS or if you have it, you know it is terrible disease. Um, causes numbness, speech impairment, because of the nerve problems, it can impact your sight, like everything. Muscle soreness, all kinds of problems. And so they did this study, and what they found was, and you can read, you can Google it yourself to read all the technical details of how they did it and figured this all out. But they found that the, the people who had MS who set ambitious goals had lesser symptoms. And the summary of the, stu the study as a whole, they found that goal setting, ambitious goal setting, can actually heal your brain. It's crazy. Other studies have talked about how if you write your goals down, uh, you're 20% more likely to attain those goals. And so, so what's the goal we're talking about here in this passage? Well, I like what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians. One of my favorite passages is in verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and even, and get this, I want to know Christ so bad I'm willing to share in his sufferings. But then we oftentimes don't read the next verses. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this, I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is how he perseveres, keeps his eyes on Christ. The book of Hebrews, I told you, talks about perseverance more than any other book. Later in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, now, the context is Hebrews chapter 11, which people call the hall of faith. It's got all these people who endured, who walked by faith. And it says, let us lay aside every weight, get rid of that backpack, lay everything which, which clings so closely to us, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Okay, how? Like, how, how do we do that? Verse 2, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. And so he uses his example again. What's the example? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, perseverance, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's the goal. Jesus. Jesus is the goal. And he's saying, how do you endure? How do you persevere? Keep your eyes on Jesus. He is the goal. And that's what the author of Hebrews is showing us here, and he uses Moses. But the way that he uses Moses is he says that, that, that Moses, who most Jews believed was the greatest. There's some sects of Judaism that say Abraham, but Moses was the one that many people thought was the greatest. And you think about it. There's always a debate when you talk about greatest, right? Like if I said to you, what's the greatest restaurant in the Raleigh-Durham area? What would you say? McDonald's. McDonald's. We got one in the middle. All right. It's right over there. Snoopy's? Oh, I got Snoopy's and McDonald's. KFC. KFC. All right, you late night eaters here. Gotcha. Chick-fil-A. Chick we got one Christian. Gotcha. There we go. Crazy fire. Crazy fire. All right, we got some. Well, you can't all be right. I looked up on Yelp and TripAdvisor this week. They didn't say any y'all's restaurants, just so you know. What do you think they said? What do you think TripAdvisor said? Angus Barnes, some people. Okay, come. Golden Corral. Nope, definitely not. That's that one. Gotcha. Second Empire was uh, TripAdvisor, I believe. Yelp. Anybody got an idea what Yelp said? Because they didn't say the same thing. And nothing y'all said. What? Capital Grill. Capital Grill? Nope. Salt and Lime. Cabo Cantina. 
And there's another one of those coming, by the way, over by the Raleigh Grand Movie Theater, just FYI. This sermon is brought to you by Salt and Lime. Just kidding. Um, but there's debate, even amongst TripAdvisor and Yelp. Like if I asked, I started a firestorm on my social media about two weeks ago. I didn't even know I was going to do it. I was just expressing an opinion. I said, Barry Bond should be in the Hall of Fame. He's the greatest hitter ever. Uh-oh, that offended some people. I'm like, okay. I got about 100 comments on it. Pete Rose and, you know, whatever. Hank Aaron, like, this, he's a cheater. Like, I'm like, they all cheat, whatever. And so it's like kind of going through this whole thing. You're a pastor. Somebody wrote on there, I was, I was offended because of their self-righteousness. They said, what would Jesus do? I was like, that's not the point right now. It's like, <laughs> it's like, who is the greatest? The Jews thought Moses was the greatest. And did you notice the passage doesn't say that Jesus is greater because Jesus was more faithful? It actually compares to Moses' faithfulness. It says, just as, read your passage, like it's saying, but wait, they weren't, it wasn't just as, because remember, Moses couldn't enter the promised land. Moses was a murderer. I find great encouragement in this, by the way, because if you ask me about my life, a lot of times I just think about the bad stuff. And you go, but if you look at Moses' life, he's going, when you look at the overarching, like when you look at the big picture, he was faithful. And what you see is that if you read the book of Exodus, which talks a lot about Moses' life, Exodus 35 to 40, there are 22 references to Moses' faithfulness. Just in chapter 40, there are eight references to his obedience to God. Now, we know he blew it. He killed somebody. In fact, when he really, he wasn't even popular. Like, no, talk about he's the greatest. The beginning of his life, no one knew who he was. Then he kills somebody. Then he goes and hides in the desert. And God's preparing him for his season of faithfulness for 40 years. So some of you, the word you need to hear today is God's preparing you for your faithfulness. I talked to a young lady after the first service. We were praying. She's like, I've drifted. I've not been walking with Jesus. But you're coming back. You can come back. Some of you need to come back. Moses, he blew it big time. But here, people, all all of this, why do they think he was the greatest? Well, he, he spoke to God face to face. I mean, he interceded for the people. He was willing to die for the people. He was a savior, a redeemer for the people. But his life, his life all points us to Jesus. He's what theologians call, he was foreshadowing. In fact, all of the scripture actually foreshadows what comes in the New Testament through Jesus Christ and the cross. In fact, if you didn't know that, that'll open the whole Bible up to you. Like, if sometimes we just grab our Bibles and we read it and we're like, oh, what does God have to say to me today? Okay, I guess I shouldn't kill a goat. Like, you read some random verse but you don't realize like everything in the Bible is actually pointing us to Jesus. There's a great story, if you don't believe me, uh, in Luke chapter 24 that teaches this. There's these two guys uh, that were le- left everything to follow Jesus, and then Jesus gets murdered, if you don't know the story, and is raised from the dead, but they don't know that or know if they believe that. And they're walking down this road, it's the road to Emmaus, and they're talking to each other about this, and then up walks this guy. They don't recognize who he is. It's Jesus, but he hides his identity. And he says, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, you don't know what's been going on? And they start talking about Jesus, and we thought he was the prophet, and he was the one, and then he died, and these women are telling us that he rose from the dead, but we don't know. Listen to what Jesus did. Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. It says in that passage, and beginning with Moses, and that's the first five books of the Bible, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so he took them to where it talks about Moses and said, don't you see this is actually about me, Jesus? And he revealed who he was. And then they have a meal together. And then afterwards, this is the, I love how the story ends. It says, they said to each other after Jesus vanishes and they don't know where he went, uh, did our hearts burn within us while we talked on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I hope the Holy Spirit opens the scriptures to you. So you see that all the scriptures actually point us to Jesus. And even when you look at another redeemer who spoke face-to-face with God and brought God's word to the people, it wasn't even about him. He was foreshadowing Jesus coming. He's a pointer to Jesus. I read an article one time that didn't use scholarly language like foreshadow and the pointing, and it just said, Moses' life is like a movie trailer. Well, think about that. We've all seen a movie trailer before. And sometimes you've seen the whole movie if you've seen the movie trailer. Uh, But when there's a good movie, what they do is they'll, they'll grab your attention. Maybe it's an explosion or a car chase or a beautiful scene or something. And uh, always dubstep. I'm not sure why, but there's always bass in the back. And then, uh, then they tell you a little bit of the story. They give you the highlights of how this person overcame adversity, and there was a twist, and maybe some crazy things happened. And then at the end, and here, now you got to come see it. Think about Moses' life. Born, should have been killed, raised in a palace, becomes a murderer, leads a nation, and he doesn't get to enter the land. Oh, like that whole parting the Red Sea scene. I might want to go see that. But 
With Moses, the movie trailer is not a teaser to his life. It's a teaser to Jesus' life. Those of you who love the Scriptures are going to love what I'm about to share with you. Moses actually prophesied that Jesus would come. It's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18. And uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, he says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It's to him you shall listen. When he comes, listen to him. Crazy part, if you read to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses dies, he doesn't get to go, he gets to look into the land, doesn't get to go, he gets buried, and this is how Deuteronomy ends. There's another guy that's going to be a leader, he's going to lead the nation of Israel, his name's Joshua. You'd think that Joshua's the guy. Listen to what it says. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, so the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. So is he the guy that was talked about in Deuteronomy 18? Listen to the next verse. And there was not, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him. For all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent to him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants and all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So then as the reader, you're going, if it's not Joshua, who is it? Who else does God speak to face to face? Who else does miracles? Who else intercedes for the people? Who else is willing to die for the people? Who else? Who else is going to bring us God's word? Who else is going to redeem us? Who else is going to lead us out of bondage? Who else? And then you get to the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. Listen to this, and I'm going to go through it fast enough that if you love the Bible, you're going to want to catch this, and I'm not going to be able to give it to you just because of the sake of our time. So you may want to pull your phone out and take a picture of this slide we're going to pop up. These are some of the parallels between Jesus and Moses. This is not an exhaustive list, by the way. There are a lot. But here's a few. Both Moses and Jesus are adopted. Both were hidden from death as babies. Remember that? We just went through the Christmas season. Both fasted 40 days at the beginning of their ministry. Both spoke to God face to face. There's verses up there. There are more verses, but we just I'll put a few. And both were prophets. Both were priests. Both were kings. Both were shepherds. Both began ministries in the wilderness. Both performed miracles. Both commanded the wind and the sea. Remember a couple weeks ago I told you, shh, wind. Shways, as Jesus calmed the sea. And Moses has that whole Red Sea thing happen, and so both those happen. Uh, both fed multitudes with bread from heaven. Moses in the wilderness with the manna, Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, both. Uh, both mediated a covenant between God and men. Moses the old covenant, Jesus the new covenant. Both were known for beakness. Both led God's people out of captivity. Both were willing to die for their people. Both were rejected by their own people. Both interceded for sinful people. It's like they gave their lives for others, both of them. Both were angry over sin. One broke tablets, the other overturned tables. Both finished the work God gave them to do. And you read our passage today, Hebrews chapter 3, 1 through 6. Both were faithful to the assignment God gave them to do. That title, the apostle used of Jesus there, he's the sent one. Moses was also sent a title, high priest, he interceded for the people. Moses interceded for the people. So did Jesus. Now, I could teach you, this is how Jesus is more faithful than Moses, because he was. But that's not what this passage is saying. It's saying, he's saying to these people who think Moses is the greatest, that Jesus like that in those ways. And then it's going to contrast at the end and go, but he's greater because he's not a servant. He's the son. And so you think about Jesus and his faithfulness. We read one prophecy about him that he would raise up, that he'd be like Moses, that he would speak, that people should listen from within the people. He'll do mighty wonders. He's going to be a deliverer of the people. And so some people talk about Jesus in the New Testament like the new Moses. In fact, Matthew, the way that he writes his gospel, is intentionally trying to portray Jesus as the new Moses. And you see it through the different sermons that Jesus preaches in Matthew. But we're not in Matthew, so we won't do that. And we talked about a bunch of stuff that the Bible talks about, about how they're parallel. But just think about how faithful Jesus is. There was that prophecy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Old Testament scholars say there are approximately 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. He fulfills all of them. Now, some of you might be skeptics and you think, wow, I don't know if that's true or maybe this is why he did it. I, had, I remember there was one gentleman who attended our church for a season. His wife was a Christian. She passed away. He was not a Christian. Uh, he just came with her. He doesn't come anymore. To my knowledge, uh, not a follower of Christ still. But we had several talks about Jesus. And I remember he said to me one time, 
Jesus only fulfilled those prophecies because Jesus knew the prophecies, and so then he went and did them. <laughs> okay. I've met some pretty manipulative people as a pastor. But to manipulate your people that you're serving and healing and feeding to kill you? <laughs> really? And they get your enemies then to fulfill the prophecies about you, to betray you for the exact same amount of money, Judas, 30 pieces of silver. It said 30 pieces of silver, then you did 30 pieces of silver. How did I get my mom to have me in the exact spot that Micah 5.2 said was going to happen? And then we had to flee to Egypt, and Hosea 11.1 says we got to come out of Egypt. Like, it's not possible. But just imagine there weren't 300 prophecies. What if there were 100? What do you think the likelihood of that is? Or a dozen? Or 10? There was a mathematician, Peter Stoner, you can look this up. Um, Peter Stoner wanted to figure out if Jesus just fulfilled eight, so less than 10, eight specific prophecies that were talked about in the Old Testament about his life, what's the probability that he would be able to do that? Do you know what it is? 10 to the 17th power likelihood that that's going to happen. But that number is so, 100 quadrillion is the number. Like, that doesn't mean anything to it. Our minds can't comprehend that number. And so think about it like this. About between 450, 500 seats set up in this room today. If I taped a coin to the bottom of one of these seats, and as you were coming in, I said, if you find the coin, you win a prize. What's the likelihood? It's possible. Not likely. Possible. You're going to find that coin. But next week, most of us are going to watch a game and there'll be live people at that game, about 70,000, about 70,240 at SoFi Stadium. I think we have a picture of that. What if I met you at the gate of this stadium and said, I, there's a seat, there's one seat in the stadium that has a coin underneath that you get one chance to go find the coin. Not very likely you're going to, it's possible, but if you're going to go with 100 quadrillion, you need to take that stadium and multiply it, apply it times a trillion. <laughs> we don't have enough pixels on the screen to give you that image, by the way. That's the likelihood. In other words, it ain't happening. I mean, there's a chance. And do you know what it shows us? Because Jesus didn't fulfill eight prophecies. He fulfilled 300 approximately. Jesus is faithful. Amen? But he's not just faithful in this grandiose scheme of numbers and mathematicians figuring out how probable things are. Jesus is very personal. I remember when everything shut down um, we were with a group of about 20 or 25, 30 people from our church touring through Israel, and we went to some specific places that Bible stories happened at. The most uh, touching places for me were places at significant points in Jesus' life. Like I remember we went to uh, the spot in uh, Nazareth where he came to the edge of the mountain and they were about to kill him. Like his own people. He, so he teaches in Luke chapter 4 that he is what the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 61 talks about where he's going to set his captives free and, and give sight to the blind and do all those things. And so he reads that scripture at his hometown synagogue and they want to kill him. And I, th I thought when we were out there, if they brought me to the edge of this and they were about to stone me, I'd wipe those suckers out. God would kick some butt if I were Jesus. That's not what Jesus did. I'm not faithful. Jesus is faithful. There's a... But somehow he vanished out of that, didn't get killed, and then went and died for those people. That's faithful. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he prays, if there's any other way. But I remember being blown away, and I've been to Israel before, but this time, um, seeing the desert where he was tempted, maybe you've read Matthew chapter 4, and you see he's fasted for 40 days, and the, Satan comes and tempts him, and we read about three specific temptations. But we're going to read in Hebrews in a couple weeks that it wasn't just those three temptations that Jesus experienced. He was tempted throughout his whole life. In fact, it says that he's tempted every way like you're tempted. But he was faithful. Why? Because he had to endure. Hebrews chapter 12, we read, read the passage. Endure, persevere through the cross. Why? Because of the joy set before him. The goal for him was to reconcile you to God. He kept the goal before him. Our goal is to keep him before us. That's his faithfulness. But he's not just faithful then. And it wasn't just during this, you know, 33-year time period. He's walking there. He's still faithful now. One of the first verses I memorized as a new Christian was 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says that God is faithful. Listen, you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear. And God is faithful. Doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Doesn't mean you're not going to sin. But God's faithful and he's going to provide a way out for you. And so we have that verse. You can pop it up on the screen. I remember as a new Christian, when I had first memorized, it was like a Christian for like two months. And so it's one of the first verses I ever memorized. 
and I was tempted to engage in something that was a regular part of my life uh, before I came to Christ. And it was one of those moments where it's like, I know I shouldn't, but I want to. And it's one of those like battles of, I don't know, maybe I have to do this this one time and it won't be that big of a deal, but it's, I know I'm not supposed And the phone rang and I thought, that's God. <laughs> and it wasn't God on the other end of the phone, but I think he had my phone ring at that because the verse promises he's going to give you an off-ramp. When you're in your temptation, he's going to, because of his faithfulness based on his character, doesn't mean you'll take it, but there's a way out. He's faithful, amen. It's personal. Not only fulfill prophecies, he's actively involved in your life. That's faithfulness. And Moses was faithful too. And that was the comparison in the passage. It said, just as, they were faithful just as, that happened. But Jesus is greater. There's a contrast. And so he's faithful in fulfilling his mission as the apostle. He's faithful in interceding for the people. He's faithful in going to the cross. He's faithful in doing those things. But there's a difference between he and Moses. Look at the passage, starting in verse 3. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. So the Bible's then saying, you can have all your debates, but Jesus is greater. As much more glory as the builder of the house is more honored than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was, you can underline that, past tense, faithful in all God's house as a servant. Underline that, that's contrast to testify to the things that were, see, he was a pointer, a movie trailer, a foreshadowing, to be spoken later. But, contrast, Christ is, present tense, faithful over God's house as a son. Not a servant, a son. A servant works in the house, the son owns the house. A servant takes orders in the house, the son rules the house. It's like when we talked about overall of creation, the end all, be all, creator of all, he owns it all. That's what's talking about when he's the son. The son is the one that provides rest. The servant, Moses, points you to that rest. Remember, he didn't even enter the land. See, see, the son is greater. And so what we're supposed to do, keep our eyes on the son. He's the goal. Why? There's another passage of scripture we don't have time to unpack today. But it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You might read it in your devotions this week. And it talks about how Moses used to go up on the mountain and his face would glow from being in God's presence. But then he'd cover it because the glory would fade. And, and then the passage says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the image from one degree of glory to another. And so in other words, what you behold, you become. What you focus on is what you become like. And what the passage is telling us is, if you want to endure in your relationship with Jesus, you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on the goal. Jesus is the goal. And not to get in too much into next week's message, the problem is it's really hard. Because there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of deception. Our hearts get hard. And the temptation is, do you know what the, next week when we talk about the passage, Israel failed the test? You know what happens in the book of Numbers as Israel is about to go into the promised land? God has parted the Red Sea. He's led them out of bondage. He's done all these different miracles of these plagues. And do you know why they don't go into the land? Because the people are tall. It's stupid. If you just look at the Bible, you're like, what are you talking about? Now, what happens is, and I don't want to blow next week's message, but it's they're looking at the circumstances instead of looking at their Savior. The circumstances seem big to them, but they're not thinking about how big God is. Keep your eyes on the goal, and you will remain faithful. That's the how. That's the by. Here's the because. The because I could phrase this positive or negative. I'm going to phrase it positive. If I were to phrase it negative, it's because if you don't, it leads to death. Separation from God forever. Positive is, and both things are taught in the passage, positive is it points people to Jesus through your faithfulness. That like Moses is a pointer to Jesus, your life can be a pointer to Jesus. And so if we're going to phrase it in a way to remember or to go with the other point, keep going because of your passion for the mission to point people to Jesus. Or you could just say because of your passion for Jesus, and the mission will then happen if you're passionate for Jesus. You'll connect people to Jesus for life change. This point is based on the very last part of the last verse, and that's the, probably the toughest part of the passage. It says in verse 6, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we're his house if, okay, huge if, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. 
if. And so here's where you get into those thoughts, those questions that I was talking about where it's like, well, what about the person who didn't? And somebody had, and you've, everybody's got a scenario of what took place. Okay, I can't speak into every scenario from a sermon. Uh, here's what we know to be true in the Bible. You are promised, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you call upon Him as Lord and Savior of your life, that you will be saved. And God's faithful. He always keeps His promises. However, we don't really know what happens in anybody's heart. Instead, what we get to look at is we get to look at outward stuff. The Bible oftentimes refers to that as evidence or fruit, you'll see. A lot of times you know a tree by its fruit. And John the Baptist talks about uh, to people, you should have the fruit of repentance in your life. Or we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. And the Bible says if you know Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit living in you. So then what's, what's on the inside should come on the outside, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. But you might be thinking to yourself, but I know somebody, they prayed and they were baptized. Maybe they were even a pastor. And then they walked away. Rebellion, adultery, murder, robbed a bank, like whatever happened. And you're going, that doesn't seem very Christian. And here's what we see in the Bible. There are people that turn away, and that's what happens. Judas. There are people that turn away, and they come back. Peter. Did they die before they came back, but their heart was really changed? Let me tell you, I don't know. I can't know because I don't know their heart. What I can know is the Bible says there are certain evidences of faith. One of them, there's the fruit of the Spirit, there's the fruit of repentance. One of the fruits is endurance, and that's what this passage is talking about. So here's what I want you to get from this passage, that your endurance is not your entrance into God's kingdom, it's evidence you're in God's kingdom. Your endurance is not how you become a Christian, and the way you stay a Christian is, not, is the same way it's by hoping in Christ. And so what the passage is saying, you become a Christian by hoping in Christ, you stay a Christian by hoping in Christ. That's your entrance into God's kingdom, but your endurance is evidence that that's true. And so if you walk through this passage and you go to verse 1, he's talking to them as believers, holy brothers. And then you go to verse 6 and you go, and you're, you're part of the house if, oh, whoa, hold up, what do you mean if? Then you go to verse 14 and it says, for we have come to share in Christ. And so he's talking to them like they're believers. And then he says, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I like how John Piper summarizes these verses and we'll put the quote on the screen. He says this, talking about verse 14 specifically, he said, it's clear that the point here is not, hold fast your assurance in order to become in the future a partaker of Christ. The point is, hold fast your assurance in order to show or prove or evidence or demonstrate, like whatever word you want to use, that you are a partaker of Christ. So, the people that you're going, hey, they, they seem to demonstrate fruit of the Spirit, fruit of repentance, leading other people to Christ, like whatever they did. But then there was this. Now, what did you lose there? You lost the evidence. You lost the assurance. You don't know. And that's exactly what the passage is saying. We don't. But when there's evidence, do you know what it does? It points us to Jesus. So your life becomes an example. We've already talked about examples are powerful. And we see a lot of examples regarding faith in our society. But most headlines are scandals. Like some pastor was preaching against homosexuality, but he was gay. Or somebody, you know, Ravi Zacharias, like apologetics, and then his life fell apart. Or some celebrity Christian and their kid deconstructed the faith. First of all, we probably shouldn't have celebrity Christians. That should be an oxymoron. But secondly, let me tell you what the article is going to say when you read about their kid. There's hypocrites in the church. There's evil in the world. Okay. We all know that's true, but what does that have to do with whether God is true and Jesus died for your sin? Like, why are you walking away from the faith? I've yet to read one of those articles, and if you have one, please bring it to me that shows that Jesus Christ wasn't the Messiah, He didn't die for your sins, and what He says isn't true. That's not what they say. And so at the end of the day, the reason why some people have a hard time with passages like this is because of your theological categories, some example that you've seen. At the end of the day, that's not going to matter, just so you know. Your political persuasion, what your theological categories are, what's true is what's going to matter. And if God's Word is truth, we're reading what He's saying. The endurance is evidence. Somebody's deconstructed. Why do we get all these bad examples? Do you know why? Because it's not, no one's going to click on an article that says, a single mom of three is raising her kids on food stamps, trying to make it, teaching them about Jesus. Like nobody wants, it's not sexy or wow. And like no one's clicking on that. But somebody deconstructs their faith. Okay, well, let me see somebody else. See, I knew it was wrong. Let me see this thing. And who's, who produces this stuff? Like, what is their, their bias is not to get you to Jesus, just so you know. I don't care what channel you watch. And so what's true? 
Did you know, just give you some facts, did you know that there were more martyrs last year by thousands than there were the year before? There's a lot of people dying for their faith. Like if I asked you this question, and you have to answer it on your own, maybe we can talk about it in your small group, what would it cost to make you stop following Jesus? Maybe it's a dollar amount. Maybe it's a life circumstance. God, I'll follow you as long as you never. Okay, then you know your cost. The martyr is saying, there's no cost. You paid it all for me. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm in. There were more last year than there, there had ever been. There were a thousand more Christians detained um, for their faith than there were in the year before, in 2021 than in 2020. So there's people that are being faithful. The new place that's most dangerous to live, it changed. For the first time in a long time, it changed. The most dangerous place to be a Christian is now Afghanistan. You can figure out why and all the mess that happened there when the Taliban took over. In fact, there was an anonymous believer who wants to go and, and be free there at some point and has hope that that'll happen, didn't want their name to be shown. They said this, before the pal- Taliban, it was not great, but it was good, talking about being a Christian. Now Christians are living in fear, in secret, totally underground. Why? Because if they're found out, they're going to be killed, but they're still meeting together? Hold on. That blows my mind as an American pastor. Because you don't want me to tell you something that's true? If it was raining today, some of y'all wouldn't be here. That's just, I'm not pointing any fingers. I've just been doing this long enough that I know. Like if I get up in the morning, it's raining, I'm like, well, there's about a third of them probably aren't coming. <laughs> but these people in Afghanistan are risking their lives to meet together with like maybe 10 other believers to mutually encourage each other and corporately worship? Risk their lives? Don't they know we put this stuff online? Like, what are you doing? Do you know why? Because they're faithful. I'm not condemning online church. I'm just saying, they got, they got a, they are like, I got, I'm Trinitarian blood pumping through my veins. I got to be with other believers. And whatever it costs, that's the cost, whatever it costs. One of my favorite martyrs ever was Polycarp. He was a disciple of the Apostle John, uh, one of the last apostles still alive on the earth after the disciples had all been uh, killed. And so that might have been why he was such a popular teacher. He pastored a church called Smyrna. It's in the book of Revelation if you want to read about it. And uh, at that time, uh, the temptation for believers was to bow down to politics over Jesus. I can even imagine. It's not like this is new stuff, by the way. Um, I think what we do that's different than Rome, by the way, is called syncretism. We just make it like Jesus and our politics are the same. That's called idolatry, by the way. And it doesn't matter whether you're on the left or the right. Um, that's what's happening in America. But then it was you had to bow down to the emperor in Rome. And he, he refused to do so. In fact, the faithful Christians refused to do that. And so they were killing them in the stadium, the Colosseum. Polycarp knew this was going to happen because God had given him a vision of it happening. About three days before it happened, he was sleeping, had a dream, his pillow was on fire. In the dream, he woke up, he told his friends, I'm going to be burned at the stake. Two of those friends were arrested. They were tortured. Like Judas, they turned him in. When he was taken into the stadium, uh, they said that there was a voice. They don't know if it was a voice from heaven or from the stadium, so I don't want to over-spiritualize it. Tradition just doesn't know. Um, they said that the voice said, be strong, Polycarp, play the man. Like words of encouragement as he went in. The emperor said to him, to recant of your faith or we're going to sick wild animals on you. And this is why he is my guy. He said, call him. <laughs> well, you're, mine, what I'm doing is not just talk. If, don't just talk. And then they said, all right, we're going to burn you at the stake, to which he gives a sermon in two sentences. Listen to what he said. He said, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour and is extinguished, but you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? (laughs) And so they gathered sticks and wood uh, to burn him at the stake. They were going to nail him to the stake, and he said not to. He said this, leave me as I am. For he that gives me the strength to endure the fire will enable me not to struggle without the help of your nails. And then before they lit him on fire, he prayed and it was recorded and he said this, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and of all the righteous who live before you, I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ, and the resurrection to eternal life. It's like a Paul praise. I want to know the power of your resurrection, even if it means fellowship of your suffering. Both soul and body, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit, may I be received this day as an acceptable sacrifice, as you, the true God, have predestined and revealed to me, remember his dream, and now fulfilled 
I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with an everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you, with him, through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. Amen. He kept his eyes on the goal. He endured. He's famous for this statement. 86 years I've served him. He's done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? He was faithful. I kept my eyes on him, so I'll be faithful. reason why I got emotional in that documentary is because that 56-year-old guy, Dave, who almost died, <laughs> comes to the finish line of that fourth race. I was like, you did it. You made it. You didn't quit. How many of us are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? Father, we come before you today. I ask that we, that I, that my family, that my church family would remain faithful to you. God, I think maybe we've gone so strong in us as a church, not just the church in America, to try and make non-believers comfortable at church, that we've got a lot of believers that are complacent at church. God, will you remind us of who your son Jesus really is and the cost of following him? And that we'd be willing at any cost to follow him because of what he paid to know us. That he endured the cross, suffering and shame. Why? Because he kept the goal, the joy set before him. That we would look and we keep the joy of being united to him where there's no sin and there's no crying, there's no pain before us and stay faithful to you here. Regardless of circumstances, the wind, the waves, the obstacles, the enemies, that we would stay faithful to you and walk with you. And Father, it may look different for lots of people in this room. You may send people all over the globe. You may do lots of things in the, the years and the days ahead and different people struggling or suffering or grieving and rejoicing. But God, I pray you'd receive glory in all of our lives and all of those things. I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you watching online or in this room, in this moment they'd realize you're the way, the truth, and the life. And they would place their faith in your son Jesus for, for being their Lord, for being their Savior. And that you'd keep them faithful to the end like Polycarp, that you give the strength to endure whatever the struggles. Probably for most of us, never fire, but sometimes it feels pretty intense. And Father, I pray we would remain faithful to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.